the incomparable. Number 396, March 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Uncomfortable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and we are returning to our a very, very slow walk through all of the films of Pixar. We will never get to the end because I think we do fewer of these than they release movies. Anyway, this is a good one. It's 2004's The Incredibles by Brad Bird. It is my favorite Pixar movie. And here to talk about it, four wonderful people. Joe Steele is here. Hi, Joe. Hi. No capes. Also with the uh, the JS, I like JS's, John Syracuse. Sometimes I just wish this podcast would stay saved, you know? <laughs> Steve Lutz is also here. Hi, Steve. What are you talking about? <laughs> and Quinn Rose. I am the greatest good you are ever going to get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this movie so much. I was so happy to watch it. And I discovered last night that this is uh, my daughter's favorite movie, too, which I did not wow. realize. Aww. It is her favorite. She walked in the door and I was watching it. And she's like, why are you watching my favorite movie without me? And proceeded to sit down and eat dinner and watch the movie with me. This was very nice. Um, are there any opening statements, John? <laughs> uh, this is also my favorite Pixar movie. That's, wow. it. That's my opening statement. All right. Yeah, uh, I will say this is my favorite. And it came at a pivotal moment when I was in my senior year of... Uh, my computer animation degree. Uh, we all went to the movie theater and we were watching it, uh, and it was inspirational and terrifying to see uh, the level of and quality of work that could be done in computer graphics and what we were doing at school at the time. So uh, I, I really loved it, and it has stuck with me uh, over the years. Nice. Quinn, do you have an opening statement? You don't have to have one. I think this is actually also my favorite Pixar movie, Whoa. so this is a good panel. <laughs> Very this is nice. not my favorite. It, it could be that Boo. this is the best Pixar movie. Boo. That could be a possibility. It's, uh, but it's very close. It's All definitely right. like okay. second or third. It's, it, right. The only reason it's not my favorite is because there's nothing in here that makes the waterworks really start going. I think the John Barry-inspired Michael Giacchino score is my favorite score to any movie i love the score of the incredibles with all of those horns sounds like a lost james bond movie it's amazing so i wanted to put that out there too i love it i'm not going to say favorite of all movies but i will say that i love the soundtrack and i do appreciate the john barry isms in here with the trumpets uh going and the the timpanis and everything especially when you're doing like the space scenes of the thing detaching and it's like you're you're looking at uh, you only live uh twice yeah so that's that's what you got going on yeah it is very very good although i must say i suffer a little cognitive dissonance just because of the fact that it's so james bondy and and uh it works great when they're on the island you know in the the uh the evil lair but it's it's a little bit uh a little bit off for some of the superhero stuff i love how james bondy it is i feel like it gives it this nice edge through the whole movie and this is also the only i'm pretty sure this is the only pixar movie that like i can hear the score in my head when i'm thinking about it i just because some of those moments are so iconic that i can visualize it and hear it and it's i think it's a really nice cohesive image this movie starts with a an interview interviews on uh with a different aspect ratio like old scratched up film uh from the old days where they're talking to various superheroes including mr incredible elastic girl and frozone about uh being superheroes every superhero has a secret identity who wants to be super all the time uh you know which is a thing that i i, I like the idea that um you know, this is about secret identities and we're about to see like the downside of the secret identities as they as we move forward in time. And then we get a um after the interviews, we get 
a, uh, a, a section of the movie that is 15 years before the rest of the film, which is in the, in the glory days, uh, Mr. Incredible is basically saving cats that are in trees and stopping robberies and preventing people from killing themselves and stopping evil, maniacal, uh, you know, uh, bad guys like, like bomb voyage. Uh, and, uh, and that's all right as he and uh, Elastigirl Helen are about to be married. Yes, um, he bumps he... into Elastigirl on top of a building as mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're foiling a purse snatching, and there's su- surprising sexual tension for a <laughs> PG-rated yep. uh, animated feature. I think you just need to be more flexible. Flexible. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like... Um, I like him shaking the cat out of the tree. I like the car that he's driving. It's got the it's got the like map in it. He's got his map gadget. There is uh Oliver Sandsweet, by the way, a fantastic name, is the guy who tries to kill himself and is saved and then sues Mr. Incredible for damage because save my life, you ruined my death. That's what you did, he says to him outside the courthouse. And that we get our our storyline here, which is um the government apparently indemnified the stu- superheroes because they're losing a lot of money in lawsuits, and they decide to tell all the superheroes they can either join the government or retire and be relocated into secrecy, like a witness protection program for superheroes. And uh, that is that is where we transition to 15 years ahead and see Mr. Incredible today. What I'm struck by, um, apparently, Brad Bird says that he had never read Watchmen. Yeah, I was just going to bring up Watchmen. Which is funny, because that is the plot of Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and the no capes thing factors in fairly fairly substantially in parts of Watchmen as yeah, well. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And, and, and the a, staging uh, a giant disaster that uh, you can you can get everybody behind uh, mm-hmm. at the end. <laughs> they don't make a big deal about the disappearing supers, but when you go to the island and you realize that they've been picking off the supers one by one and feeding them to the Omnidroid, um, that is also part of the Watchmen plot, which is that superheroes are dying mysteriously one by one. Uh, poor old Gazer Beam. You would think that their their government handler Rick would have would have uh, picked up on the fact that all of his charges were disappearing off the grid. He, he only shows up when something goes wrong. If everything's quiet, he doesn't show up at all. It's like oh, I mm. guess they're fine. Well, all of them apparently were hip to go to the island, so I would presume some of them were also listening on a police scanners and getting in trouble. <laughs> well, we also have syndrome. Oh yes, yes, oh, buddy, yeah. Yeah. buddy, buddy. I work alone. Buddy yeah, buddy, buddy ruins everything in uh, in the battle with Bomb Voyage by uh, blundering in and getting a bomb stuck to his cape. Which again, capes ruin every, or, or is it to his foot? But anyway, well, it, it sets the tone camp. a little bit too, because bomb, bomb voyage is apparently an evil enough dude that he's willing to toss a bomb at a kid, mm-hmm. who obviously is just a kid. You know, it's it's very clear that Incredible Boy is not technically uh, Mister Incredible's ward, and he's happy enough just to blow the kid up. I think it strikes a nice balance with Mister Incredible too, because he's he's mean to Buddy, right? He's like you know kind of exasperated by the the fans, and he's dealt with Buddy before. He's like, go away, I signed all the stuff for you, which kind of paints. Mr. Incredible, not a great light, but when the bomb lands on Buddy's cape, there's no doubt that Mr. Incredible's top priority is now suddenly to, to save this kid by getting the bomb off his cape, right? Which Buddy doesn't understand, and which does, you know, foil his capture of, of Bomb Voyage or whatever, but it, that, I think it strikes the right balance where we we never turn on Mr. Incredible. We, we are with him the whole way, that he is a good superhero. He will stop to get the cat out of the tree, and yes, he's exasperated, but he's, you know, he's not going to let the kid blow up. 
Yeah, and that's important too, because otherwise you'd wonder at various parts in the movie, is he only in it because of the adulation that he got, as opposed right. to actually you know being a good person. Oh, and for for the first movie that you know, for the first major movie that did people everywhere, they did take a little bit of a challenge. Not only are you going to do people that hopefully don't look like animated corpses, right? But uh, but also you're going to have the you know the past scene where everybody's slimmer and younger, and then you got to age them up because it's it's, a, it's an important part of right. the story. So you have to make and yeah, you know, maybe it's all just the same models with different parts of them puffed out or whatever. But I thought they did a pretty good job of making it clear that these are the same people and not like. You know, when they fast forward, immediately cutting to Mister Incredible's waist, but it's clear as the as the progress is like, oh, they they have gotten a little bit bigger and doughier as time has passed. As so My often God, happens, you've gotten so fat. Yeah, <laughs> you get a little thicker around the middle <laughs> in middle age. I like that. Uh, I like that at their wedding, all of the supers are there on their side of the uh, of the aisle, and Gazer Beam's right there in the front row. If I, I hadn't noticed that previously, but that kind of adds to the stakes a little bit when he turns up dead. Yeah, and Rick is is obviously there in the front row too. Is their sure. their government handler and Edna? It's Gazer Beam, Edna, and Rick in the yep. front row there. There, there are only so many models of characters. <laughs> Law of conservation of models. I also like how they're all in their costumes at this wedding. Like, just a bunch of superheroes hanging out. Except for Bob and Helen. Yeah, it's funny, too, because they're very clear they need to take off those masks before they go in. Because, you know, you don't want anybody to know that it's mm-hmm. actually superheroes getting married. Except, of course, every superhero in the town is at their wedding as, as guests. Well, maybe it's it's just for the photography. Like, we're not getting married in the costumes, Bob. <laughs> I can see that. That's where she draws the line. We can invite all our superhero friends, but we're not getting married in the costumes. All right, so it's 15 years later, and Bob Parr now, Mr. Incredible. Yes, I just got that this time, by the way, the fact that they're the Pars, mm-hmm. as in average. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Took me a little while. And they, uh, he, is, he is an insurance adjuster for an insurance company that is awful and doesn't want to pay out any of its claims. Maybe I'm just repeating myself. It is an insurance company. <laughs> but we, we learned that Bob has... Um, you know, Bob cares about the people that he's working with. There's an old lady. Uh, he tells her secretly, don't tell, you know, you didn't, I didn't tell you that you could go down here and fill out this form and all of that. And he gets yelled at by his horrible boss, who's played by Wallace Shawn. Um, and this is his, uh, this is his awful soul crushing job. Um, meanwhile, at home, uh, Elastigirl is the mom of their three kids, Violet Dash and a baby named Jack Jack. And uh, they live in the suburbs, and Bob's got a a, a very, very small car. He's a very yes. large man in a very small car. <laughs> He's I in the cubicle with the, the cement post. With the post, like. yeah, that's got the power in it. <laughs> yeah, I love that image of him wedged into his car in the traffic jam, because if, if you wanted a perfect shorthand summation of how caged he currently feels, that's it in a nutshell. I always thought it was the overhead shot of his cubicle when they reveal. You've seen him in his cubicle dealing with the old lady and feeling bad. You can tell he feels bad about his job. And then they pull back and do overhead from an angle. And you see everyone else has a big cube. He's already a huge man. And his cube is like three quarters taken up by the unfinished cement <laughs> cylinder and the pillar. And that is the best thing. Also, in this when, uh, when they cut to Helen giving the baby a bath in the sink. And she does. So first of all, you know, the, the beautiful like edge to edge window with no... Uh, with no frame at the corner, I don't even know how that works. Whatever, it's a, it's a computer world. She does the little thing where she swoops up the baby's hair hair into a little thing when she says we are officially unpacked or whatever. Little moves like that are everywhere in every one of these scenes. Again, if you just go through it frame by frame and pause and see, you know, she's talking on the phone. She's giving the baby a bath, which is already a, a enough interest for a shot where it's just 
uh, talking to Bob at work, but to do the little baby hair swoop uh, and time it with what she's saying. So it's just it's just something special. This movie, I was surprised. Like I haven't seen it recently. I was surprised that like my memory of it was not inaccurate. Like so tight, everything is so good, uh, and I'm surprised at how you know. Oh, it's all all killer, no filler. Like every scene. So there's some there's some trouble at home. Um, Dash the son has gotten in trouble at school, and so. Uh, so Elastigirl Helen has to go down to the school to a meeting with the principal and Dash's uh, teacher, who is convinced that Dash is putting playing tricks on him and putting a tack on his seat. But uh, and he has a videotape this time uh, to prove it. But unfortunately, you can't actually see. He just says, see, he moves a little bit. I don't know how he does it. And uh, and and so he's very upset with Dash, who's just sitting there acting like he doesn't know. Uh, what's going on and of course they, they can't prove it and the teacher gets irate and the principal says goodbye uh, and they leave and Dash is smiling and of course this this actually makes Helen mad in the car because of course she knows that he has super speed and he is even though he got off uh, from being in trouble he is totally um, acting out in this way um, and I think this is a really interesting scene but I also want to point out it contains maybe my kid's favorite line in the entire movie and I don't know why but there's that moment where the teacher is like aha i i i know it was you and the principal says bernie and he says don't bernie me <laughs> my kids walk around the house sometimes just saying don't bernie me i don't think they intended for me to feel sorry for the teacher in that scene but i really do feel somewhat sympathetic for him no he's got like gone around the bend because he knows that this kid is doing it but mm-hmm. he can't figure out why and and yeah. he and he's getting shushed down by his boss the principal right listen bernie's like ah, don't bernie me right he's like yeah. he's on i i know it was you you're you're a rat whatever he says i mean it's uh we learn about dash and his power but we also learn that you know he is acting out and that there's there's kind of trouble at school and he his smile is really off-putting right because he he got away with it and that and and uh even though his uh, parents know better i have to say my favorite line in this scene is when the teacher goes you see he moved coincidence i think not and then everyone stares at him like are you okay (laughs) (laughs) but this this whole thing with dash is i i love this characterization of him though because it's so clear that all he wants to do is just be fast and be Uh able to run and even though like he's proud of himself for getting away with it but i think more he's just so happy that he's found a way to get away with running um at least off with his teachers if not his mother and it's um it's not about like actually putting the tack on the chair it's about challenging himself yeah and he's bored i mean you, you get that sense too that it's just like he's not able to uh, use his powers, use the thing that makes him special, the thing that he's the best at in the world, and he's not allowed to use it, and so he's bottled up and frustrated. And um, then you get that great payoff in just a few scenes later at dinner where the where uh, Mr. Incredible is very impressed with the fact mm-hmm. that he was able to get away with it on the videotape. And <laughs> they have a little moment there, which, of course, exasperates Helen no end. Helen says, you know, everyone's, but everyone's special, Dash, and he says that's another way of saying no one is, which is a recurring theme in this movie. Yes. Um, we also meet Violet, who uh, is shy, and when a boy she likes um, looks at her, she d- becomes invisible so that he can't see her. Um, at which point, when she reappears, she says something like, he looked at me, but <laughs> he didn't see you because you were invisible. But he did. He did try to look, and she runs and goes in the car. And now we know something about um, these 
the, the kids and their powers. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Just For Men. For an enviable beard and healthy feeling skin underneath, opt for beard care from Just For Men, the number one beard experts. With 25 years of men's facial hair expertise, Just For Men knows all about beards, and they've got a full line of supremely fine products to prove it, including face and beard wash, beard conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm. Mike Hurley told me about beard oil. It is apparently magical for making your beard feel great. The face and beard wash helps prevent itch, unclogs pores, calms and moisturizes, and deep conditions. The beard oil, light, non-greasy, don't get scared by the word oil. It's fine. It smooths, it softens, and it doesn't clog your pores. Beard conditioner, deep conditions while calming and moisturizing skin underneath. And beard balm offers superior hydration, fights itch and dry flaky skin, and helps prevent ingrown hairs using soothing oatmeal, aloe, chamomile, and jojoba oil. So kiss your average beard goodbye. Are you not taking care of your beard? Gentlemen, take care of your beard. Usher in your softest, smoothest, bestest beard and skin underneath. Go to jfmbestbeard.com and use promo code BESTBEARD25. You'll get 25% off your purchase just for men. Put your best beard forward. I love this super fight at the dinner table. It's it's hysterical and great. I mean, it's just it's just the classic sibling, uh, you know, irritating each other kind of fight that you get at every dinner table around the country. But with the added feature of the fact that, you know, Violet can create force fields and Elastigirl can actually reach them wherever they happen to be in the room and pick up the table with them underneath it. And uh, it's great. It's, my favorite things in this movie are these the sequences where, you know, it's more or less your standard home life, except for the fact that we have this weird little wrinkle where everybody has superpowers. And this is just a, a great example of that. I think Elastigirl with her arms snaking around, grabbing the kids, is just a perfect visual representation of what it feels like to try to wrangle kids. Like, mm. literally, her <laughs> arms are tied in knots trying to keep the kids separated while, you know, everything bounces all around and the baby is over there. It's it is just like a, a barely exaggerated version of what what doing that feels like when you're not a super person. Uh, and <laughs> it also, this also has a uh, a great taunt, Tony Loaf. <laughs> for, the, for the kids, I bet you would eat it if it was Tony Loaf. <laughs> Why they didn't make that a a product? Lucius comes over. Of course, we we know that this is Frozone, who we saw earlier, and they go out uh, bowling, which is a lie because they are actually sitting in an alley in a in a car, listening to this police scanner to see if they can go and do some super things and save some people because they are so bored and would really like to use their superpowers. And uh, this is where we get. They finally find that there's a fire, and they go to the fire, and Lucius can't make ice inside the uh, uh, inside the fire because there's no moisture, and uh, they're they're saving people, and they end up having to smash through the wall into a uh, into a jewelry store, which sets off the alarm when Bob stands up, and there's a, that's a nice moment where he's like, uh oh, and then he stands up, and he's like, oh no, and the lasers all hit him, and he real the alarm goes off. And uh, they end up doing that uh, that thing where uh, Samuel L. Jackson, boy, I love it. Lucius is like, I'm just going to have a drink of water to the jumpy cop. <laughs> and then he says, freeze. All right. And then the and then the great shot where they uh, the rest of the cops come in because they hear a gunshot and uh, Lucius and Bob are gone. The the uh, cop is still there. We see him from the back as they run in and see that the survivors of the fire are, are down on the ground and the and the camera pushes in and turns around so that you can see that the other cop is frozen with the bullet 
as like an icicle sticking out of his gun and frozen in midair. It's great. He's one of the best uh, squirrely cops when he's pointing the gun and it's shaking and his voice is cracking. <laughs> it's just it's so in- incredibly over the top. Much better than Batman and Robin. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. Let's see what else. Oh, so we, we discovered that they, they are um, being watched. Uh, across the alley there is a woman in a car who is watching them and she reports back that yep the fat that fat guy is still with him just talking <laughs> yes he's actually watching frozone which is interesting yeah that's true but but she gets the but idea she switches after the fire scenes like no that's the right. fat one we definitely want yeah. that one helen is waiting for him at home in a pink bathrobe mm-hmm. <laughs> in the chair in the dark <laughs> a classic yeah, and she's and she's uh, like, look, he, he tries to explain like, look, we you know we just need to get people out before the building came down. She's like, yeah. you knocked over a building. Yeah, yeah. Instead of finding lipstick on his collar, she finds rubble. Yeah, yeah. She, they do a lot of sight gags with her stretchiness, like of of uh, having her do a normal move of putting a hand on his shoulder or turning around or whatever. But she's across the room when she does it. They do it like six or seven times, and it's 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 fun every time because. Especially with the foreshortening of the perspective, it almost looks normal. Then you realize, wait, she's six feet away. She's constantly snaking those <laughs> arms everywhere. They do. There's enough of a distinction between every time they do it that it always stays fresh. I mean, there's a whole sequence at the end where she's in the secret base and and they oh, do yeah, it like that five times in a row, and they're all hysterically great. Yeah, or even like when when uh, they're having the big family fight and Frozone comes to the door and the the lamp is still she swinging and lamp, she does a little right. stretchy hand real quick to hold the lamp still, but she's trying to maintain the the semblance of uh, of calm, the appearance of calm in the family. Right. And it's only the fact that Frozone already knows who she is that enables her to do that, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. Or when she's yelling at him and she gets taller, they really just, you know. That's the one I really love is that when, when they are in the argument together, she just gets taller <laughs> while she's <laughs> yelling at him. It's a, it's great. They also have this continuous analogy of um, Bob cheating on Helen. Like she, she's not actually cheating on her, but like all of his super stuff is done. Like like she finds rubble on his on his collar and she finds something else on his suit later in the movie and it's this continuous pattern of like oh she picks up the phone to try to hear who's calling and it's like he has a mistress but it's just his like superhero past coming back yeah this is for for again another thing where for a movie that is ostensibly a kid's movie this is a movie about a midlife crisis and it's got all of the pieces of that even though that's not that's not what bob is doing he is leaving living a secret life and edna says at one point uh men bob's age are unstable <laughs> which is great <laughs> um and, and that that's one of the themes of it and i, I always find that and there's that like it, it might threaten their marriage what, what do you mean their marriage at one point is the is the line that the kids say yeah they might, they might be it might be the rest of their lives are worse their marriage yeah, it was very dramatic from from Violet. You know, just that that age, and Mirage is after Mister Incredible. So the, mm-hmm. Helen is right to think that someone's trying to put them. He, you know, uh, Mister Incredible is not interested in Mirage, but Mirage is interested in, in Mister Incredible. He, and he gets the sports car, and he gets mm-hmm. in shape, and starts like he's not ignoring Helen, but it's yeah. like she she well, he's definitely not the, ignoring Helen. In fact, his mojo is back. In yeah, no, we, we that that is that is clear. That is something. But that then happens. that too is also apparently a sign of you know having an affair because well, that's that's after she hears the woman's voice on the phone and he leaves on the quote unquote business trip. Boy, he seems to be going to a lot of conferences lately, and she says goodbye to him in the garage, and she's kind of like. Oh yeah, know if she wants yeah, to that's, confront that's him a or scene. that's a yeah. tough scene because that's that's where she's she's kind of broken about the fact that she she overheard that and she knows that something is going on there even though it's not what she suspects something is going on and he is he is um, misleading her but uh, yeah it's 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 really interesting the whole yeah the sunglasses and the and the flashy new car and the you know it is 
and, and he is having that midlife crisis and she doesn't know that he's he's got he got fired so that's that's going on here too yeah it's just it's a it's a really interesting every time i watch this movie i'm like dang like that is what this movie is about on one level and that that is not the movie is not afraid of that even though it's you would not expect to see that normally in a movie yeah. that is a Pixar movie. And during this fight here, we get more of the whole uh, the whole theme of everyone's special, which is another way of saying no one is, because uh, uh, they they argue over the fact that Bob doesn't want to go to Dash's big fourth to fifth grade graduation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the line here is, they keep creating new ways to celebrate mediocrity, but if someone is genuinely exceptional, then they... And it gets cut off here. But, I mean, it's pretty clear that at this point that uh, Brad Bird is no fan of participation trophies, mm-hmm. and he wants yeah. to make that point very clear. Well, or at the very least, I don't know if that's Brad Bird's position, but it's certainly the position that Mr. Incredible is in at this point. Like, because they've been so bottled up, then it just seems like the whole world is keeping them down, and in many respects it is, yeah. right? But 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 I think it's a more of an expression of frustration. So we'll get to that at the end of, like, what is the what is the pitch of this movie? It's not like the super should be super, super all the time. That's not what they're saying at all. It's just that they're also saying you can't just bottle up and deny that part of yourself. That won't, That's not healthy either. Right. End up throwing your boss through about seven walls. Right. Well, they hit this note several times throughout the movie, and one of the things that I, I think I I could could have been improved a bit in this film, and there aren't too many things, but it's I I love that sort of uh, that sort of angle of you know if everybody's special and nobody is, um, but it's 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 not really supported that well by the film itself, um, because of the fact that you know they've been there's there's a really good reason for them to uh, to sort of be hiding out and not showing off their powers, which is that you know they're. They're basically, uh, you know, they, they're trying to keep their very uh, precious secret identities from being revealed. Uh, you know, it's not we're not in like a Harrison Bergeron situation here where everybody's being forced to be mediocre. It's really more or less the lawyers got their hooks into things and that's why they're forced to hide out. Yeah, but it is it is it does come across as being unfair, right? Like it's it, imagine that you were told that the thing that you were best at in the world is no longer allowed. And I mean, I, that's because a lot of people discuss this and say this is an almost Anne Randian kind of thing. And and uh, Brad Bird has said, no, that's not what he was going for. But I do think the theme is to take it uh, on a slightly different angle is um, this movie is about being able to be your best self. And, you know, and and with Dash is a great example of that. But it's also Violet's confidence is a, another example of that. It, it's Bob being crushed by not being able to be Mr. Incredible anymore. The being your best self is important. You need to be able to strive for excellence in whatever the thing is that you're best at. And that if society kind of prevents you from doing that it can be soul crushing I, I think that that much of it i will i will say i think is 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 uh you know it's covered in the movie well it's a lot like the x-men movies where it's like uh you know you, you can't don't deny some portion of yourself you know have you tried not being a mutant like and, and the same thing of like oh well we suggest that perhaps you should the government says you should you know keep your identity secret like are they just going to pull out the sentinels if they decide not to do that like it's not it's not 100 percent an x-men thing but it's similar in that they they have powers that could be you know they never go into them being used for evil but like in general they're doing good things but it's like yeah but the potential downside is that maybe something bad might happen so it's maybe better if you just deny that part of yourself like don't don't you know pretend that part of yourself does not exist and just live a normal life which is just you know not a healthy way to live at all and in the x-men movies it's more than just asking them to deny it you either hide the fact that you're a mutant and if you're revealed to be a mutant we'll hunt you down and kill you uh so that it's not it's not as dark as that and certainly not even as dark as watchmen but i think it is very similar in that like your choice is uh be who you actually are 
or totally sublimate a, par- a major part of yourself to get along in this world, which ends up just, you know, causing other things to bubble up. Hey, everybody, I want to take a brief break, not for an ad. This is not an ad. I just want to tell you something that's going on. A bunch of my friends who are Doctor Who podcasters and writers have done something called Who Against Guns. It is a fundraiser for anti-gun violence charities. For $10, you make a contribution to any charity that's on their list, uh, send them the receipt, and you'll get access to an exclusive set of audio commentary tracks for the 10-episode spectacular called The War Games, starring Patrick Troughton, featuring an all-star cast. And if certain needs are met, if certain levels are reached, there will even be a commentary track from Stephen Moffat, the outgoing showrunner of Doctor Who. So check it out. Go to realitybombpodcast.com to get a whole lot more. And I'm on episode three with Liz Miles, and we had a blast recording it. So check it out. I do have to wonder to myself, though, while they're all hiding out, all the the heroes are hiding out, uh, what happened to all the supervillains? Did they just take a break for 10 years? Well, we, we, did we see supervillains? We saw some cats and some trees. We saw we the saw French bomb guy, voyage. Yeah. Is he super or is he just a guy with bombs? What is his power? I don't know, but they're, they obviously have several several foils that they're talking about monologuing in, at various parts. One of the unexplored parts of this movie that I did notice this time is... There are still superheroes there employed by the government. So even if there are bad guys out there, the idea is that all these superheroes were given the opportunity to join the government or retire. And what the Incredibles did was choose to retire rather than go work for some government agency keeping the planet safe. So I assume that in the background, that's probably what was going on. At least that's my headcanon. It, it, Are there government workers yeah. in this one? I, I don't recall well, they, that no, ever happened. The, the dialogue is, certainly... is, is you, you were, the superheroes were given the choice of joining the government or retiring. So I would assume that some of them chose to join the government and our government-employed oh. superheroes. As but, government heroes as opposed to right, bureaucrats somewhere. Right, but not Bob Parr. He was, he was he, like, I'd just take me into the witness protection program, essentially. He okay. chose to retire rather than work for the government, which is, again, a completely unexplored story angle because, they, you know, this this film does not want to be about that. But that's sort of just breezed by the idea that you're either a civilian and you're retired or you have to go basically be a cop for a super cop. That's your, those are your choices. I'm sure uh, government uh, superheroes, nothing can go wrong with that plan, right? See <laughs> Watchmen. Back to Bob Parr's job. It's not going to last long. He gets called into the office uh, by Wallace Shawn. Um, and there's a great, you know, I'm not happy, Bob. And there's a great scene where he basically says, you've been helping people and uh, that needs to stop. And uh, the this features, uh, oh, by the way, he's looking at uh, somebody getting mugged in an alleyway and, while he's getting dressed down by his boss, who's telling him not to help people. And he's also telling him specifically not to help the guy out in the alley. Let's hope that we don't cover him, he says. <laughs> but uh, the the line that I love here is, are you saying that, uh, Bob says something like, are you saying that we shouldn't help them? And Wallace Shawn's character's response is, the law requires that I answer no. <laughs> he says through gritted teeth. He does such a good job in that performance. And the, the, the character is small, so doesn't have a lot of motion in his little limbs and his stubby little sausage fingers. But the but the voice performance really really sells that character and brings him alive. Yeah. yeah. Also, they give him these unique traits, like the the pencils that mm-hmm. are perfectly Lining aligned. The paper on, on the desk. Yeah. 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 They're so penetrating good. the bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that uh, that I hadn't noticed previously, but did on this watch, is he has four clocks in his office. You know, as if to show various time zones. Only they're all set to the same time <laughs> zone. 
It goes with the four <laughs> pencils. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it does. There's a system. That's a super weird character design. I'm always struck by it. He's very short. He's got a very big and elongated head. It is a... I mean, a lot of these characters in this movie, all the characters in this movie are exaggerated in some ways, but the Wallace Shawn one is the one that really gets me every time, that he's such a weird-looking little dude um, who is who is then, by the way, in a fit of anger, uh, put through a wall by uh by bob walls. and well that, yeah, and that's the, that's the gag that's the thing that's beautiful is you see him hit and you see him burst through the wall and you think yeah. oh geez he hit him through a wall and then the camera tracks left and you see that he's actually gone through many offices and many walls cartoon style big hole opened up uh all the way and then bob is at the far side going oh Oh, geez. And this is one of those moments where I'm very glad that they made it clear that Bob was basically good at the beginning because mm-hmm. that's a pretty intense thing. Well, he goes into the cartoon body cast, too. So it's clear both by the wall and the cartoon body cast that we are in the world of cartoon physics where you fall off a cliff and make a puff of, of smoke and have a big full body bandage. But basically you're fine, which I think also helps sell that. Sure, but if you stop and think about it for a fraction of a second, you realize that in a fit of anger, he just punched a man through f- five walls. Right, they, but they have that whole scene leading up to it where he's ignoring the mugging man. Like, this is this is everybody's worst impression of their boss, a tiny tyrant yes. who is wrong about everything and whose intentions are not good and who nevertheless controls every aspect of your life. And everyone wants to throw their boss like that through the wall at some moment, right? So that's that's what the scene is selling. So the, it's actually a payoff when he gets thrown through Oh, it's the very wall. satisfying. It's it's just best that you don't think about it for too long. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I think it also helps that the disappointing uh, Rick comes in, uh, whatever the, the government guy. He's so disappointed and exasperated, and like he's been through this before, and so th- he does get the comeuppance of, uh, you know, being ashamed of what you've done and, be- and being difficult, and like you know, you realize that as cathartic as that might have felt, it has repercussions. You got to move your family again. Your family doesn't want to move. Like there, are, there are far-reaching implications. I like the um I mean I I get the idea that that Mr. Incredible has has thrown a human being through uh, many walls and that and that's bad but I guess my argument would be this is why you don't bottle up superheroes and make them work in crappy jobs mm-hmm. like this is why he needs to be doing what he's meant to do because you put him here and what this is this is what's going to result there's going to be injustice he's going to get frustrated and he's going to use his strength and something bad's going to happen so and he's eventually going to end up killing somebody yeah exactly right when when the goal was to keep them out of trouble by by locking mm. them up like this they're just going to be in trouble i have to wonder in the line of his government placements if they originally put him in a place where he was doing a physical job but he like couldn't control himself Mm. or chose not to control himself and they were like okay we're gonna put you in cubicle desk jobs from now on so you have no opportunity to use your super strength yeah it's an interesting idea of like what were his other jobs before and again i think this is this is something the movie doesn't want to grapple with because probably he'd be really great at the train yard quite frankly just lifting trains and moving (laughs) them around around. but they don't but they don't want to have him do that and so they put him in the the job to which he is least suited which you know the movie wants it because it's funny and it's a contrast and you can see why he'd be frustrated and that's why the movie does it but you know it is the most extreme example i do i do wonder that same thing which is you know you could have you know he could there's so many things you could do with a super strong guy but that's the whole point is he literally can't show that he's strong and so they have to they have to put him in this cubicle it's awful 
had another good sight gag when he comes out of his cubicle and he the opening on his cubicle is small enough that he barely fits so the whole thing like shakes as it scrapes yeah. along his he chest has, and he back to, as he, he squeezes turn side, sideways like, and yeah. slide through it yeah and and the whole thing shakes like the whole row of cubicle shakes this flimsy this flimsy house of fabric that he has to work <laughs> in every day so he goes home and he's lost his job and actually the uh his government contact has said this is the last one i can you know we'll we'll relocate you one more time i guess for old time's sake but then that's it and and bob's like nah i don't want to move my family again we just we just did this uh and the, so here goes down the path of 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 lying to your family about the fact that you lost your job um yes. but what he discovers is slip mirage has slipped uh, something into his box that he takes away and and it's a kind of cool 3d it's ipad, iPad face id <laughs> it is. We'll, have that. we'll have that in a, in a couple months i like i like the uh, lenticular effect that they did yeah that's the 3d part it's got yeah it's the totally the lenticular thing he he tilts it and you can see the the the, the background moving behind her and he gets his message which it, or her message which is we're going to pay you to be super and for this one job we'll pay you the equivalent of triple your annual salary so, hey, guess what? Bob has another job after all. He doesn't have and he gets to be super again. And that means that uh, he has to take a plane off to a far off island um, where we learn that there is a uh, the, there there is a killer robot that's on the loose and and uses machine learning. So which is like legitimately, again, so many things in this movie that resonate better now. It's like it's actually using machine learning to learn and get better. It turns out AI machine learning, um, not as predictable as we would have thought. Just saying, interesting. And so uh, he has to go take it down. That's the story that, of course, this is a lie we discover later, but that's the story he's been given um, by Mirage. And uh, he's going to be taking the the jet and dropped down onto the island. Um, We get... This is where we get the biggest collection of fat jokes, which is also was in the trailer, which is that he doesn't fit into the drop the tube tube yeah. or whatever um which that's again the point here is that he's middle aged he is he has let himself go to seed a little bit because he's not able to do what he you know what he loves and what he's best at which is being a superhero he's huffing and puffing on the island too like he's yeah. just out of shape he's out of shape yeah I, he, he runs around and you can see that he's you know, we, uh, this is one of the good things about having seen him earlier as we saw him in peak condition at, in the prime of life and now we're seeing him and and he just doesn't he's wearing that same outfit and it, it's riding up on him because he's put on some pounds and some inches um he's got a little muffin top going on yeah there. exactly right and then the robot is like fast and rolls around and i really this is one of those things that i wrote down is um i really love the robot here the robot is super smart and scary like i really think it's effective that this this robot is a difficult challenge for mr incredible and uh, i think it's really effective this whole scene where he has to uh battle the robot and he gets he gets in uh backed up he throws it in the lava and it comes out of the lava and he and his, it's re- now he's got a red hot robot it's, it's, it's a very good fight scene where each each little encounter is very well choreographed and has a point to it it's not just a lot of like i hit you you hit me i hit you, you hit me every every sequence is something progresses in the fight I, the lava one i remember laughing out loud in the theater when you know he throws in the lava haha i've defeated it all you've done is made now you're fighting a robot that is too hot for you to touch. Like the whole thing is red hot. It's just one of a great out of the frying pan into the fire uh, scenes. And he's also he throws his back out at one point, and then the robot that does <laughs> the a good gag stretches him. him, and he's like ah, and then he can fight again, which is 
makes me laugh every time. And it ends up disemboweling itself. Mm -hmm. Which is important for later, as it turns out. I do love him also just nonchalantly walking away from the Omnidroid after he convinces it to pull its own power supply out. Yep. He just sort of strolls. He struts away. Yep. I mean, and it was this whole fight scene, yes, the point is that he's out of out of shape and whatever, but he reveals him. He's good at his job. He's a good superhero. Right. He does clever things. He figures out how to win this fight. He's not just a big lunkhead who's strong. Yeah, I mean, he's not entirely brawn as well, yeah. which is key. Yeah, and it's finally we get to see him in his element after seeing him not in his element in as you know in the soul crushing job, which is it's nice to see him that way. And uh, then he gets to have uh, dinner up in the island redoubt of this lair next to the lava wall on that ridiculously long and pointy table so so many great scenes Mm -hmm. so many great silhouettes i could just print these out again that's why i think they look like storyboards like they're just so defined by these geometric shapes and just incredibly exaggerated forms people the background the furniture everything yeah and if you go through uh what was it it was one of the features on uh itunes extras or dvd or blu-ray or whatever you have um i'm sure you can find it there there's a, a thing about how they did the title sequence and how it was inspired by the storyboards and the um uh work that they were doing there and how everything needed to be simple silhouettes to turn to it pretty quickly and to communicate the point of the shot so uh it, it really shows in the the final film even though this is a 3d movie you're looking at uh where the light is carved out by their their shapes in front of this lava wall uh so it's it's really well staged and uh composed i just like the idea that in this entire evil layer that sidrum has designed they just happen to have this giant super long table in front of a lava wall just specifically <laughs> to have mr incredible and mirage eat dinner there like is there any other purpose for this entire room don't, don't forget the giant easter island statues Oh yeah, of course. That that is a hundred percent evil villain layered decor. Like you get the evil villain interior decorator come and says, "I see here a lava wall and and a twenty-seven foot long table." Yes, go with that. Even as a kid, I had questions about this. Well, this isn't the only time they've used that table. At least three or four other heroes have defeated earlier versions of the Omnidroids. So I guess at least seven must have. So uh, yeah, that that table's been used at least seven other times. Sure. Yeah. And then they have the training montage. Speaking of him, him being mm-hmm. out of uh, you know out of shape, they a literal straight oh, yeah. up from the eighties training montage, I- intercut with uh, with his wife delaying him from going to quote unquote work by pulling him back into the house because he's such an irresistible hunk of man flesh now. Yeah. Well, he's 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 uh, everybody's happier now that he's living his uh, real life instead of um, you know his his fake life where he has to suppress all the things that make him happy and 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 good. Well, I do feel like Helen spends a little bit more time than is appropriate in her bathrobe. Like I, she, her, her wardrobe consists mostly of this pink bathroom. No matter what time of day it is, she's just, I'm, I'm in the house and I'm in my pink bathrobe. And I feel like you need to you need to get dressed every day. It's really important. <laughs> Leave Helen alone. She can wear what she wants. So much of the, the family scenes are based on 50s and 60s sitcoms. And that was kind of the classic look yeah. of the homemaker, you know. At home all day, happily vacuuming. At least she didn't have curlers in her hair. Yeah, they did avoid that, thankfully. Oh, yeah, they do have her home vacuuming, but not happily. Like they have the great scene where he's off yes. doing exciting things, and that they did that that cut from like his excitement where he's on the right. balcony over and a she, tropical island with his uh, with his drinks and fruit, and then cut to her with the vacuum with something rattling around. And she's there, in her the going, darkened hallway of her home. I mean, it's like it's totally drab scene, like the most the most drab possible angle you could take that shot at. It's a great contrast. And that's that's where I think that that every one of these scenes is I don't know what the word of it is plussed or punched up or whatever. Like so the the cut to her vacuuming, 
all you need to say and we cut to her vacuum and we see how boring her life is but the the little the little plus the little extra is the stupid thing caught in the vacuum like the, the annoying thing not only are you bored and annoyed by your vacuuming but then something's caught in the vacuum and it happens all the time and it's super annoying is it a kid's lego do i have to stop the vacuum do i have to fish the thing out of there that's what put every scene in this movie has something like that in it where if you just wrote it up and storyboarded it her vacuuming would be sufficient but like no what what else can we do here what what's better than just seeing her vacuuming Let's see what else. He does get the new car. He gets in shape by lifting various things down at the rail yard, which again could have been his job all along. He would have been a happier guy, but no. Although I don't know if trains should be lifted quite that much. Uh, but he has torn his suit, and so he needs to go get his suit repaired. And that leads us to our visit to Edna Mode, designer to the stars, but supermodels. There's nothing super about them, and so uh, and she she tosses his. Uh, his uh, suit into a garbage can and says, this is a hobo suit, darling. <laughs> Which is amazing. And also, this is where we get our, our uh, very clear ex- set of examples of why you should never have a cape if you're a superhero. No capes! Because all the superheroes with capes die horribly. Yeah, so her, her character and her model are just so amazing. So, you know, we saw the small boss before. It's like, oh, look at this guy. He's, he's up to Mr. Incredible's waist. Edna is up to his shin. Like, she is so incredibly small. She looks like a different species. She's like a chihuahua next to a bunch of Great Danes. She's so sort of, you know, strangely proportioned with her head that is wider than she is tall and her haircut. And, of course, the voice, voiced by Brad Bird, the amazing voice. And yet they managed to turn her, you know, in this uh, in this movie into a character who has an inner life that is revealed like you can tell that she is lonely that she wants visits but can't bring herself to ask for visits she's so overjoyed to see anybody that she shoes aside her her security guard and says who is it come in come in come in and you know fast talks them all into visiting Mm -hmm. her fast talks helen into coming by when they're there she's kind of you know dismissive and obnoxious and aloof but she so desperately wants them to be there she so desperately wants to wants to use her superpower which is making these amazing outfits for for superheroes and I, I i absolutely love her orchestrating uh helen uh, checking up on bob so that she can yeah, continue snapping her out of it it's like what do you what do you think you're supposed to do you're elastigirl yeah, yeah the whole thing is is uh in that second scene with edna is engineered by edna f- to get helen where she needs to go um and edna is just kind of playing the long game but with bob yeah you get the sense that she is i mean the supermodels there's nothing super about them is a really funny line but it also that is the whole deal with edna mode is that she is not she's also not fulfilling her 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 best self in my opinion edna is the best part of a very good movie i love her she's so iconic she has some of the best lines in the whole movie like i never look back darling it distracts from the now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and is she i she is such an icon and i there's a, there's a specific line where she said when she's talking about these supermodels and she says i used to design for the gods yeah mm-hmm. and, I, and she uh, says it right in front of that fountain statue that looks like suspiciously the, like the, bob himself gods, yeah. or the relief carving mm-hmm. really. from certain angles i even like the way that she uh tries to turn him down whereas oh, but pull him in where she she she's going oh i simply can't darling i'm, t- I'm far too busy yeah. so ask me now before i change my mind and he doesn't really ask her and then she says oh, i accept right that's just like cause yeah, she, so she is so she's and it seems like she also is doesn't have any non-super friends like the supers were the only people she could relate to as friends and so now she's just isolated and lonely because she can't relate to the supers as supers or they have no reason to go to her so she's just in this giant beautiful mansion with stairs that are only connected on one side that impossibly hold well it's weight. it's an apple it's an uh, apple store that i wrote down her house is 
just the Apple store. That's what her house is. Don't don't encourage Apple to make <laughs> stairs that are only connected on one side. It's not. It only works in three. I think modeling. Steve Jobs saw this movie and was like, "Can we get those stairs in our in our store?" And they said, "Plus no. a little incinerator drawer where you can <laughs> yeah. throw things. So you can throw the tissue, the, the <laughs> snotty tissues." Seems a little dangerous. It's some more fairly dark stuff in here too. With the well, the, the happens off getting... screen, like she gets sucked oh, into a jet engine, but you don't see it. Of it's, course, again, cartoon violence. You, you under, she's understood to have been sucked into the jet engine. Certainly, that's happened in like Disney cartoons throughout time, with you know creatures falling off of cliffs, presumably to their deaths, but. Rarely are they quite so visceral as, say, the uh, lady getting sucked into the jet engine, which we get twice in this movie. There is a lot of stuff in this movie that is weirdly dark. Like, I mean, this this scene, but some of the stuff later, especially once they, the whole family is involved, like, looking back on it, a lot of the stuff in here is really heavy. Yeah, it is. I think that, that I mean, I think that cranks up the stakes because they do, they do want you to buy into the family life and relate to these people as people. And not just as silly cartoons, right? And so when they crank up the stakes later, you hopefully at that point actually care about the family and their relationships. Because a lot of the drama on this is the repairing of the family relationship, not so much the defeating of the bad guy. And uh, and you have to be able to relate to the stakes when the when the mom gives a speech to the kids that these are bad guys. It's not like on TV they'll actually try to kill you. They you know they have to be able to pull that off. And if the whole movie before that was just slaps like yuckety yuck, you would they wouldn't be able to go that deep and and make it work. And I think it works. I think you're right, Quinn. We'll we'll get to it in a little bit, but one of my favorite things in this in this movie is the sequence with uh, Helen and the kids in the in the plane and then on the island. And it takes it is that moment where the movie <laughs> we'll get there, but the movie explicitly says, "Hey, you know those fun Saturday morning cartoons with superheroes? This is not like that." And I love that about that scene. They will kill you. Yeah, that, it's it's amazing. But before we do that, Bob has to get to the island. The next yes. thing that happens is he no Manasan Island. No Manasan Island. That's what this was called this that, time. Yep. That's oh yeah. That's right. They they never say No Manison Island. They say descending to No Manison, but it is yeah No Manison Island, um, which is a clever pun, although not enormously relevant to the John Dunn poem. But no, okay. no, it's just a fun little joke. But there he's he's flying in that manta ray plane. Yeah, this, this is the best scene in the movie in terms of James Bond. Amazing. This is the the ultimate James Bond scene. It's a plane that goes under the water, and it, then it's a boat, but it looks like a manta ray and you go into the james bond lair with the volcano it drains the water out then you hop out yeah. oh it is amazing but who wants mimosas and shrimp cocktail uh, bob mr incredible apparently he has a super powered stomach too apparently would you like more <laughs> mimosa one of the things i like in this movie is all of the like computer voices in it yeah they're terrible there, there yeah. are so many of them too because there's the one on the on, like the bird and there's the one in the in the computer in the with the big terminal and then there's the one on the on the on the manta ray plane there's lots of those little voices um we we he gets to meet syndrome right this is the the uh he he's he's ambushed and has to fight the robot and uh he meets he meets syndrome and syndrome is finally revealed as being uh our friend buddy incredible boy who is uh has turned evil and has uh built all sorts of different uh items that are going to give him powers and then he'll eventually his secret plan is to sort of become a hero and then he's going to give all of his stuff away and nobody's going to be superhero super because everybody's going to be super or something like that. And he's got some, um, he does a monologue here, which is really great. That's one of my favorite scenes in this movie where, where Bob's like verging, like angling away from him. And, uh, and then he catches him and he goes, ah, you got me monologuing. It's a great moment. 
Um, although I was going to say, not, now that we've been piling on a lot of uh, praise here, I'm going to say, I don't think Jason Lee does a particularly good performance of Syndrome. I think a lot of his line readings feel really um, flat and yeah, uh, one note. like he's reading just off the script. And I mean, I, in a movie that I really love... I, I've never really thought Jason Lee was a particularly good actor and then Im- removed from all the physicality where you're just relying on his voice. I I, I think he's the weak link in this movie. I, I, I don't like him at any point in the movie. I think he's a bad, he was a bad choice. There, I said it. I like, I like his voice. I, I think, I mean, I, I almost forget that it's Jason Lee, which I think is a compliment because, yeah. I, because the character, the visual design of the character uh, works for me and his facial animation is done well. Occasionally, once you know it's Jason Lee, you can see him kind of giving uh, not that enthusiastic line readings, but I but I buy it. I mean, uh, I think the visual overcomes it for me. The red the red hair and the freckles. And I everything. guess this is what I'm saying though is that I think that Pixar did a great job with Syndrome. I think Jason Lee's actual vocal tracks are just not very good. Some of them are, some of them are. It, it, it has its moments. I actually am not bothered at all by the voice, um, but you're right. There is no nuance whatsoever in any of these line readings. They are one tone throughout. And, uh, you know, it's always the, I can't believe it. You did this and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it never, it never changes. It's, it's, yeah. I wouldn't call it a great performance, but it doesn't distract me. But I mean, he's there mostly just to be a threat because the whole, the thing you care about is the family, the the family cohesiveness and the kids finding their powers and the family getting back together. And he's just there to antagonize essentially. Like we're not, it's not like we're invested in the, in the defeat of him and, and a little bit of a foil for, for him to, you know, realize how his neglect of buddy has manifested later and you know the you know that that whole, that whole plot line is fine but it's not we don't care that much about syndrome and his fate bob uh goes off the uh he eventually like dives off the the waterfall that previously you know you could split and fly through and all that because it's a great lair and they uh uh syndrome throws a bomb after him and and thinks that he has uh, been killed but actually he's hidden in a cave having found the skeleton of gazer beam who i had... love this so much uh-huh. that is such a great creepy moment when you think about the fact that dude was at his wedding in the first row for pete's <sighs> sake and now he's having to hide behind his desiccated corpse to avoid detection yep what kind of crap scanner can't tell that there's a living thing behind the skeleton? Though? I mean, it works. It works for the movie if you don't think about it. But yeah. man, that's that's that scanner's no good. Syndrome stuff's not that great after all. It turns out. Well, well he does have the bomb is shaped like a little eye, like Incredibles. Mm-hmm. A lot of things are on brand in this movie, even, even the the evil things. And I also like the idea of uh, the huge explosion coming from that tiny little matchstick thing with the tiny little button. A very Apple, very Apple design. Sure, you know, sort of. Uh, Sort of a foreshadowing Eve from uh, from Wally, all white and smooth, and capacitive touch buttons, and a huge explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bob is hiding on the island. Chronos, uh, written by Gazer Beam, who's your Cyclops analog. Uh, don't what, think too hard about how he managed to get that password. Yeah, I don't. Nope. Don't think too hard. Don't think at all, in fact, about it. Um, This is the point, by the way, where Edna uh, invites Helen over, gets coaxes Helen to come over. She goes through the security scanner to get into the thing where she's got the handprint, the retina scan, the voice, and then, uh, you know, Edna mode. And then the the gun comes to the ceiling and guest. Mm -hmm. Again, I think like just the gags of her having to do the 17 kinds of authentication would be sufficient, but the gun from the ceiling is the great capper. And they're on the platform. My favorite thing in this scene is they're on the platform because all of the things have to be demoed moving from left to right. So the platform follows them. And then it like a typewriter, like a, yeah, like a typewriter, you're like zoop and you go back to the beginning and everything kind of jerks around and everybody's kind of bobbing around and then it does it again. 
It's what great. do you think this baby will be doing? Well, I'm sure I don't know. <laughs> She's built all of the things that demo the stuff. So, like, I love that it's like the big silver balls come down and charge in order to turn the uh, violet suit invisible mm-hmm. for a moment. Oh, the baby crawling, the baby crawling through flames yeah. and getting shot yeah. with machine guns as the, as the mother looks yeah. at it with her mouth open. Oh, and that, and that uh, her that Helen's costume, like missiles, are fired at it and explode. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny about that sequence is the baby is the first one out. Yep. You know, you would mm-hmm. think they would save that till the end, but no, Edna just goes straight to the baby. We discovered that they've all got trackers <laughs> in them, and this is where Edna like leads Helen on to the point of, you know, do do you, do you know, know where, where he is? is? And uh, she doesn't, and they fire off the uh, the tracker, and it turns out that he's out in an island in the middle of the ocean, which uh, simultaneously he is investigating. Uh, what is going on on the island and is using the Kronos password. He's gone through the lava wall, uses the Kronos password to find a, I guess, PowerPoint presentation or something explaining the entire plan. Again, don't think about Wordless it too much. Like movie computers. It looks great. But, but I think that's that's a great uh, compact storytelling because they do the thing where they show, they just have the two sides of Superman ver- or superhero versus robot and you see you know, a robot wins, robot wins, superhero wins, robot wins. Like every time a superhero wins, a robot comes back and defeats the same one. Yeah. Instead of having to explain, this is what happened. He lured the people to the island and they would fight them. And sometimes they would win. But when they lost, when the robot lost, it would learn and would defeat, you know, all done wordlessly. You don't have to read all the words that are on the screen just by flashing stuff up. Very, very compact and very good. And and it, it's a dawning realization as you watch the fight. It makes you feel clever for figuring out what they're communicating because it's wordless. Uh, and it's an effective moment. I love the design of that. And of the then the phase, you know, phase one, two, three, here's the rocket, it's going to go and all of that. Like, it's beautiful. Again, mm-hmm. why would it be there? How would he get into it? It doesn't matter. It is great shorthand and it looks great. And so I'm going to I'm going to give it to him, even though so, such smart visual design too. one of the things I noticed on this one is like, so you've got what they have to communicate is the robot goes in the rocket, the rocket goes to the thing, the thing comes out of the, the rocket. Right. And they do it with arrows and stuff like that. But so the, the rocket, the, the robot is a ball and it goes inside the rocket they could have put a ball inside the rocket and just, you know, had it open up and the ball goes in and then close down, just like going into a cylinder. But there is a circle-shaped hole in the rocket yes. to like, you know, very straightforward, you know, shape sorter type communication. Circle hole, circle thing goes in hole. Just to do that extra little bit to make sure it is visually communicated in a fun way, regardless of how smart it is to have a weird circle-shaped thing. You see later that it's like this cool ship that splits apart and everything. Just uh, every every part of this movie... It's good, like, movie user interface. You know, it's a simplified geometry to communicate the, the points of the story so you don't have to have lots of flabby exposition until later when they talk about the remote that controls the robot. So anyway, uh, because the thing was uh, activated by Helen, it, um, they uh, that sets off the alarms. Um, talk about another wonderful piece of design. Um uh, the whole design of the lair is amazing and we'll, we see it when bob goes through it and we see it again when helen goes through it i love the whole design of the lair oh, i love the little balls that are the little like on the tracks that are the trains i love the rooms i love the 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 sliding doors and stuff all of that stuff is great the giant lava wall is amazing um and then one of the things i really love is not only do we get like he walks out across when in, in the dark to get to the computer terminal and it's super creepy and then when the alarm goes off all the lights go on and then we see what that room looks like 
when the lights are on, which is it's less impressive. There's still a bridge there and all, but now it's not dramatic because all the lights are turned on. That looks great. And then he gets shot with the puffy ball cannons, which yeah, the goop. I love that. That it's like it's a ball, and he's like, ah, oh, this it doesn't matter. And then he shakes it, and it's super sticky, and it's expanding. And you think, well, this is a weird weapon, but then they keep shooting him with it, and he ends up completely covered in them. And it's super smart, and I I love how it looks and sounds, and it's great. Yeah, and it's also interesting because it's it's not just like machine guns or, or something conventional where uh, the the there can be a, a threat because this you're figuring it out with him as you're watching the scene progress that the, how this weapon works and how it's going to keep him from moving forwards and what its effect is going to be with along with the character. So I, I really appreciate that. There's also one of my favorite shots in the movie is you see from his perspective as the last of the balls are sort of puffing up over his eyes and you see mirage walking mm-hmm. towards him um as it fades to black and you, you just like are put in that moment and be like oh my god i'm caught uh on the plane with helen and it turns out the kids are there too she called in a solid from snog she's been snapped out of her uh, suburban stupor by edna and so we see her in that plane and she is all business 100 percent competence india golf niner niner you know like doing all the piloting stuff the switching seamlessly into scolding her children and telling them, telling them to sit down but like very businesslike and i think the kids pick up on her, her business like because they haven't ever seen her be a superhero right they've just seen her at home you know doing mom things this whole scene is a great tonal shift and uh steve was saying that he doesn't this this movie doesn't get him to uh tear up or at least get particularly emotional but like i, I feel like all the scenes in which she expands her body into a giant ball and surrounds her children or once again yeah. the the literal uh interpretation of the feeling parents have wanting to like if i could just envelop my children and protect them she does it to save them from death as they as the plane explodes because her daughter who she asked to do this force field can't pull it off because she's just a little kid and has never used her powers in this way she throws her own body around her children and then becomes a parachute for them yes. does that you know twice does it once with the baby but but this scene there i always found very sort of even before i had kids i found it very emotional in terms of a you know uh the parental instinct uh made manifest in the real world you know, the one of those that gets me is where they actually, uh, it's its a few scenes forthcoming, but um, where she ends up being a boat, um, you know, mom boat, <laughs> and uh, evidently spends quite a bit of time getting to the island as a boat. And when they finally reach the island, you see her crawling ashore with the kids, and she's so spent and beat that her her body is still kind of deformed, and she can't even get entirely back to human shape. And you're like, she just put her all into saving those kids and then the first thing that she does as a result of uh, at that moment is is she 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 gives dash props for you know being a trooper and kicking the whole way but i mean like there's there's physical signs of how much she's just put into saving those kids and that's the one that kind of gets gets me going a little bit there's so much that i love about the scene of them in the plane in that whole sequence starting with that the kids snuck on they were absolutely not supposed to be there and she didn't know they were there until they're like almost there because um you know violet can turn invisible and she's hiding them and all of this stuff and then when she confronts them she's like you left jack jack home alone and they were like no we got a sitter and they <laughs> cut to them calling home <laughs> and they've got this teenager who's taking care of the baby Kari with her braces and and she's like no that's par it's gonna be fine I, i've got a Super license memorable character for being in so few scenes yeah they, they must have put something in that in, in that person's mouth when she did the lines because she sounds like she's talking with braces or a retainer it's so great. But the, the rest of it is is so 
dark. And I've seen this movie several times at at various stages of life. And I feel like every time I watch it a little older, I just appreciate more how dark the scene is because they they are attacking the ship and then the ship, this plane. And the moment when Helen says there are children aboard and there are children aboard and Bob Uh hears that and he knows that his entire family is in that plane and they still shoot it down. It's devastating. And even Mirage is shocked and Uh uh, a little disappointed. That's where she starts to turn. Yeah, this is, this is where Mirage is no longer interested in working with syndrome is after this scene. Yeah. Yeah, because because that's really awful. And then, of course, Bob, having heard the plane is shot down, um, snatches her up. And it's that it's I I think a classic moment that you see in a lot of places where um, the the you know the hero threatens to kill somebody, and the villain is like, "Go ahead, show me," you know, you, you know, because of course you're not going to be able to do it. But of course, if you're the person being threatened in that scene, as she says later, you know, next time risk your own life, gamble with your own life. As he said, I was bluffing. I I, he, I called his bluff. He called his bluff that he was going to yeah, snap you in half. And him. so with the, you know, next time gamble with your own life, which normally in those scenes. You, the person who was life was threatened, don't doesn't get to have that comeback, and it's so it's like yes, finally that person gets to speak back instead of just giving them a dirty look, and you know, and being on point with the keeping with the uh, gambling uh, analogy. There's so much going on in the plane. Um, so taking it back there, Quinn is absolutely right. There's so much going on there. Um, it was mentioned earlier about how Violet. You know, she tells Violet to put a force field around, and Violet can't do it. But it's not just that Violet can't do it because she hasn't practiced this this comes up again on the island for both of them where dash says run as fast as i can and and uh and she asks violet to use her powers and she's like but you told us not to use our powers as fast as you can like i love that so that this is the um this is the other part of them them not being allowed to be who they are is that this is a moment where she could really use violet's force field and violet's hasn't been allowed to make a force field, right? And so, of course, she can't make one here. And this goes back to the prohibition on them using their powers being the thing that is getting in their way. And um, that is an amazing moment where you can see Helen. She has the moment where she's like, watch that plane. That plane does just amazing things. It is spinning and diving, and it goes down to the water and back up, and it does all this amazing stuff. But eventually, she can't. She's out. The afterburners are, like, empty. There's, like, a really quick shot where you can see she's out of booster. Out of the booster right so she can't do that anymore she can't evade these things she knows they're going to hit she knows that violet isn't able to throw up a force field and and there's that moment where she has to time it right where she abandons her flight and and zips back into the cabin and wraps them and and it's all one continuous shot she wraps them up the plane blows up and then begin to fall and um, talk about the dark stuff that you wouldn't expect in a movie like this. Um, th- there are several seconds where the kids are just screaming because they're dropping to their deaths out of a plane. And she's knocked out. And she's knocked out. And then she wakes up and gets it together. And you get to see that moment where she becomes the parachute and, and says, brace yourself. And then you get that extra one, which is like, it's all going to be okay. Don't panic. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then then the, the plane, plane falls down on their head. Comes it, down, yeah. <laughs> and you see it slowly disappear into the dark oh. depths, sparkling from like the electricity and explosions that are still going on. Such a great shot. Then, the kid, then everyone pops back up to the surface again, and now they're freaking out even more. <laughs> we survived to what we're dead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That <laughs> tilting shot is amazing where where it's down below them, and then the, the, the camera 
it basically slides up above them so that you can you it's pivoting down so that you can see that uh fuselage slowly kind of descend it's there's so many great camera moves in this movie that um but they yeah then they're at the surface and they're panicked and oh we survived but we're dead we're dead we're dead and mom gets to be like nope we're gonna we're gonna work this out it's gonna be fine and then she becomes a boat she becomes boat mom and uh that's very clever that he gets to kick he's the outboard motor and uh and they get to the <laughs> island just another day riding in a lifeboat made of mom <laughs> her, her head bobs as they go over the waves and then and so then they're on the island um and we'll we'll get to that because that that's one of my favorite scenes too but we we should say this is at the point where bob is broken um he he tries to take mirage hostage uh and syndrome says go ahead and kill her and he doesn't and then i, I just love the body language here with mr incredible because he's very upset when he realizes it's helen on the plane and then he realizes it's the kids and he gets even more upset and then after they say it's been confirmed mirage says that, that we shot down the plane he just sags He's just destroyed. And we, uh, until he sees Helen a little bit later, this is one of the things that really sticks with me is he is a broken man. His life is over essentially at this point because his entire, he's gotten his family killed and it's, uh, it's super effective anyway. So now the family is on the Island and, uh, this is where we get, you know, she's going to, uh, Helen is going to investigate. She wants the kids to stay put, uh, in in a cave, they get the campfire, and this is where we get that wonderful moment where she says, "Remember the bad guys on those shows you used to watch on Saturday mornings? These aren't like those guys who will avoid killing kids. They will kill you if they get and the I chance." I love the facial reaction on the kids in this scene because they're talking about the the villains that you used to see on those shows, and they both have like these little smiles on their faces. Oh yeah, I remember those. We're having an adventure. And she comes back with. They will kill you, and their faces immediately go completely grave. It's beautiful. Yeah. I'll tell you, this line scarred me as a child. (laughs) Like, I thought about this line for years, and I was convinced that one day I would run across people who are not like the Saturday morning cartoons and who would kill me. That's one of the things that this movie does that I love is instead of this movie being like, oh, everybody knows it's just a movie and it's going to be fine. No, the movie says, no, these people are really bad and they will kill you kids. And so when they have the chase and all of that stuff later, just you keep that in the Mac in the back of your mind. And then the fact that it hits the kids and they need to take this seriously. It's just, it's an amazing scene. It doesn't stop. Uh, dash from kind of goofing around and I'm not going to go outside the cave but instead he goes <laughs> into the cave later um, and uh, and so yeah it's a great scene it's a great scene and then Helen goes off and does her infiltration where she's on the yes. on the, like the little ball thing and is is swinging like one arm down and then the other arm down to get around like the concrete pillars of the monorail ball thing and then up yeah. on the top. And it's just that whole infiltration scene. She gets inside. She almost gets run over by one and flat turns completely flat basically against this the wall. This is where we get like five minutes of gags of her just stretching into weird little places, culminating in that just unbelievably great scene where she's stretched between two automatic sliding doors with her arm trapped in an elevator even farther along. I, I, I love this scene. Uh so much i can't I, I there are no words for how great it is when she like slugs the guy in the elevator and then kicks the guy behind her a lot of movies where you'll hear the commentary like i had this idea for this really cool scene and then they like build a movie around that really cool idea they had 
And this thing, like every scene is one of those ideas. Yeah. Whether it's the, the you know, the, the people kicking on the boat or the parachute mom or the, the you know, the, the, the long sequence with the stretching between the, the doorways. Like, it, it's almost like every scene is something that you could have, like, that was that was the one thing I had in my mind and I built the whole movie around it. But everyone is like that. All, all very good. And you could almost... You can almost feel the brainstorming sessions because they didn't want to. They didn't want to waste anything. They, you know, every every person's powers get the chance to to uh, shine or perform some interesting story role or have have an interesting gag that they could do with that particular power. Always in service of the story, but it, within each scene to you know, like like Elastigirl. So she stretches fine. There's probably a five or six obvious things that you can do with that. They do a hundred things with it, and every one of them interesting. Yeah, and it really highlights her competency and her skill. Uh, not just that she's their mother, that she's also this incredible superhero uh, who can do all of these things. And I really like watching all of these gags because of their inventiveness, but also because it shows that she is very clever um, and uh, explains why she was so good at what she did when she used to do it. The scene is interesting as well because it shows the limits to her powers, because before we haven't really seen that. She's just stretched as she's needed to. But in the part when she's stuck between the sliding doors, you see her continually straining because part of her body is cut off and she doesn't have as much capability and so you even though it doesn't come back that much you get the 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 sense that she is not infinitely stretchable she does have her limits and they did telegraph they that just that a little scene. when yeah the costume scene when she points out it will stretch as far as you can mm-hmm. without hurting yourself without hurting yourself yeah it's yeah. a great line without injuring yourself uh, that's the timing i mean first off uh, i always appreciate how somebody very carefully wrote down um, you know, they, they plotted out like, where does she get caught all the different parts? And then the, the way it, the way it is edited together, the timing of it, it is amazing. Like she gets caught in all the parts. She's not intending to be caught. She gets uncovered in all the parts discovered by all those people. And then there's that moment where it completely unravels, where the guy finds her leg in the door and simultaneously <laughs> and a car it. drives in, drives into her torso. And it just is everything goes wrong and then all of a sudden Uh, there's that sudden sequence of like bloop 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 where she you know she gets the guy shoots the the door and her her leg gets free and it snaps across and she whacks those guys and she gets the pass and punches the guy in the elevator and then it all works out and she and she just kind of like the last thing she does is she kind of like touches her waist and goes whoo and that's it (laughs) and she's done it's amazing though just she takes down two dudes with her hips i love that just knocks <laughs> them out. them against the door. Mm-hmm. More, more like her thighs. Yeah. And, this, and eventually, when she's reunited with uh, Mr. Incredible, I'm reminded of another thing that is refreshing in this movie because I increasingly dislike uh, misunderstanding based plot devices. Right. So, you know, Mirage comes in and they, you know, they hug each other or whatever. Not, it's not a romantic hug, but of course, Helen comes in yeah, at the exact I, moment I, when they're embracing. Right. And she's super mad. And that is resolved within three seconds because as soon as he sees her, all he cares about is, thank God you're alive, pulls her over and gives her a big kiss in a totally, like, in, he's not guilty about anything. The, the sheer lack of guilt that he has and the sheer joy that he feels about seeing her is immediately convincing to her. It's like, oh, okay, you're not cheating on me with Mirage. I see that. And there's no long drawn out for the rest of the movie. She's yelling at him about cheating and he's saying, oh, I didn't. You don't understand because I hate that. And this movie dispenses with it immediately. Yep. Yeah. Well, they still kind of argue a little bit in the jungle, but uh, they. Uh, well, that's argue arguing about, about like what are you doing on this island, and you're fired from your job, yeah. and you know, so on and so forth. It's less about you know. Less about. In fact, Mirage. I don't even think she. I don't even think she mentions Mirage again 
after that. No, and she was mad, and he pulls her over by using her giant long arm that extends out. Like this giant spaghetti thing. Again, another side gag with the stretching, pulling, 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 and just gives her a big smooch. And it's just so clear that all, 100% of him is just happy to see her. And no percentage of him is trying to hide anything or is ashamed or anything because nothing has happened. The kids um have tripped off the the there's that like robot parrot or whatever that they've tri- yeah don't trust robot they've parrots. tripped the alarm <laughs> and so we get um, words to live by so we get uh we get now it's all action all the time at this point in the movie they're out on the island the uh the lackeys uh syndrome's lackeys are chasing them around they've got these cool like hover things that are like saws blade chips they're surrounded by spinning blades seems very unsafe yeah but what an amazing design it would only work in an animated movie probably because in real life you'd be like seriously there are spinning blades Uh around the outside of it but (laughs) they're knocking down like the most dangerous ships ever you can't even get near them they just slice you in half yeah and like you were saying uh in terms of you could only do this in an animated movie it's one of the reasons to make this an animated movie since they're all humans that you can make the argument oh well we could just have a live action version of this and i'm sure in 20 years disney will do that but uh, right now, it, it, or uh, in twenty in two thousand four, it made a lot of sense to do this uh, in just entirely uh, digitally, um, especially with this jungle chase and the enormous scale of the fight that goes on. Yeah, they're running out over the water. The great scene where he realizes he can run on water, and the resolution of that chase again. No, there's no like no filler chase where it's like suffice it to say there is a chase, and then you have to endure like three or four scenes of like going around a corner and doing this new that. There's always a story. There's a story to the chase with the you know the re- the revelation that he can run on water, the pursuit through the little uh, you know pillars, the uh, you know thinking about how they're going to resolve it, and then splitting up, them coming out of him pinching him in the cave and then him not knowing what to do and just stopping and sinking and that turning out to be the solution because the two guys ram each other which again doesn't make too much sense if you think about it but it's 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 so well choreographed that there is no no part where you kind of you hear this a lot from people who don't like action movies they'll be like uh or just a bad action movie you're like i was bored at that point i understood yes this is the part where there's conflict but i was like okay get it over with get to the end of the conflict so i can see how it resolves itself because i'm not enjoying seeing the conflict play out but in this movie i feel like this whole action scene every every beat every thing has a story point to it or at the very least is interesting i love that we get a couple of moments with just the kids discovering the extent of their powers because they've finally been unleashed and just the the sheer joy of them realizing how powerful they actually are and finally just being unbottled up um and i i think that the best moment of that is is that little chuckle he gets when he's running across the water and it's like the, the unbridled joy of seeing what happens when i'm finally allowed to just run or when he realizes he can dodge the punches of the bad guy and he could punch him back with this tiny little fist and it does like nothing <laughs> but he's like this is awesome i get to, i get the punch and then you know he wins that fight by being smart and, and getting off the ship before it hits into the wall violet discovers her power basically by screaming and saving her brother because she realizes her brother has been caught off guard he's going to be killed and she just leaps on him and makes a gigantic force field and he's like how are you doing that she's like i don't know she's finally compelled she's get, getting out of her own head enough to be like you know the the, the the need to save her brother especially since she couldn't save them before just she doesn't even know how she's doing it just comes out of her in, in the typical sort of you know pubescent manifestation of powers combined with emotional distress type of thing must save my brother equals giant purple force field and then immediately after that when she yells dash run and then they they he i don't know how force field physics works but inside the force field and he runs across and they're just tearing through this forest to the giant force field orb it's really cool and you uh have also the nice moment where as antagonistic as these siblings have been 
they work together and protect each other uh, and know that what's important is the relationship uh, where uh, earlier in the film, it seemed like they really would have done some serious damage to one another with these mm. superpowers if they if they were left alone. Uh, so it, it, it's it's really uh, refreshing to see them resolve the conflict between them and, and realize that uh, working together is uh, and protecting each other is what they they really need to do. Although on the subject of this being dark, all of these goons are definitely dead by the end of this. They die. Yeah. <laughs> so there's been so much death up to this point that it doesn't even register me but anymore. But they're children. That's all right. They're 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 all the same model anyway. They're probably clones or something. The clone troopers. They might be robots. We never see any proof that they're not. Speaking of Star Wars, uh, there is the, when, when they're chasing um, Dash around in the forest with their little orb, mm-hmm. uh, little uh, saw ships. That is, I just thought, well, this is another way to do that uh-huh. scene from Return of the Jedi. Speeder bikes. Uh, and I think this ripples forward uh, in How to Train Your Dragon. There's a similar scene where uh, where uh, the character has a revelation about the abilities of him and his, you know, thing going through uh, low down in the water through pillars of stone that poke out from the water. It always reminds me of this scene. Yeah. So the two kids fighting is great. And then the parents arrive and you get just enough of a taste of seeing them all fight together, which is terrific. Particularly the bit where they instinctively all strike a dramatic superhero yep. <laughs> pose. That's the, pay- that's the payoff. That's, the, that's what you want. You want to see finally the families together. Yep. Finally, they all realize their powers, and now they are a force to be reckoned with, and they get the little pose. But you only get a few seconds of it here. They leave you wanting more. Syndrome comes and breaks it up. And then, yeah, Syndrome discovers them and figures out that she's Elastigirl because she's all stretchy when he freezes her and... And realizes that they uh, he that that they're all there, and then he locks them all up, and he has to go to the city, of course, and leave them behind, because he's got to uh, you know do his do his plan. But they chase him because they launch another rocket, and uh, and that leads into the last scene in the movie where they uh, they take the the Winnebago that the security guys are in <laughs> Spaceballs homage uh, and Elastigirl loops herself in so that the Winnebago fits inside the ball that is meant for the 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 robot delivery device and uh, and then when she drops we in and they're back in the city uh, we get that great uh, husband and wife arguing yes. on the freeway yep. moment which I love which is like no 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 we want to go uptown no you want to take traction no no and he swerves and it's like take traction he's like all right and he swerves again and and skids and it, it skids and flips and then lands perfectly in a space right next to the parking meter let's do that it's again great. I love that whole thing <laughs> we will get there when we get there it's like they're, you're going to have them in the Winnebago for a short period of time. It's like, how many gags can we fit in there? Like, what? Are, give, me, give me your best ideas. And, you know, we're just going to throw them all in in, this, in like 15 seconds worth of footage. And then and then he wants to go off on his own. And, and we get that moment where uh, the, the she, she gets to repeat her line from earlier, which is, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And he reveals that, no, no, he doesn't want them. He doesn't want them involved because not that he's trying to prove himself, but because he knows what it would be like when he was. He knows what it was like when he thought they were gone. I can't lose you again. I'm not strong enough. Yeah, that's right. So he says, "No, you have to stay." And they're like, "No, that's not going to happen. We are a family. We're gonna we're gonna do this together," uh, which is which is great. And then uh, Lucius. Oh, we should mention uh, there's a robot in the city. Lucius is looking. Where for is my super suit, suit super clothes? Suit. Where is my super suit? Uh, yeah. Why do you need to know? <laughs> the city is in danger. My evening is in danger. 
but yeah, but Frozone then appears and uh, and they're there um, and they have the. Uh, they have to fight the robot, and uh, Syndrome is there, and 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 they think he's someone else, which is great. And he's like, "No, no, I'm a yeah. new superhero. Someone needs to teach this hunk of metal a few manners." Love that. Mm-hmm. Love but, the fake. But fight. The, the the remote gets lost and well, broken. No, the and thing, all the thing figures out it's and, because it learns. It's it sees, robot. oh, this remote is what caused you to pop off my leg, so it immediately targets the remote. It's like the. AI uh, and machine learning is going to be the end of all of us again. I think this is the yes, lesson which we have ignored. Learned. So anyway, then then yes, we're told that the remote controls the robot. The remote controls the robot <laughs> many times, but we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of Frozone. He does. He's got like a snowboard mm-hmm. ski thing that he can do, and they're like he freezes the the uh, um, the lake at one point. There's a great scene where Dash kind of lands gently in the snow that has been kicked up from the lake from Frozone as they try to defeat the uh, the robot. And eventually they figure out that uh, Bob flashes back. And this is literally the one the one scene where this movie does that thing mm. where like, we're just going to show you yes. what happened earlier in the movie so that you can see Bob connecting the dots that the, uh, the one thing that can penetrate the hull of the robot is the robot itself. So he's got a claw. They've got a remote control. They can fire off the claw and it will uh, shoot through the robot and rip out its core which is what they eventually end up doing uh thereby defeating uh defeating the robot and then uh hooray the incredibles have saved the day you know what i love about this fight scene it's not very long they didn't feel the need to take the, the big climactic fight scene and stretch it out to like 20 minutes we've already yeah, seen a lot of this robot fighting stuff you know we, we we need to see the payoff obviously we need to finish this thing off but we've seen plenty of this robot fighting you know and uh it, it's it's not like it's not like one of the Marvel movies where you've got like a forty five minute fight between the two big dudes at the end. No, and 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 it is the character moments. It is it is the you know the remote allows them to do the you know dad throwing mm. the football with yes. his son thing, which is the go <laughs> long, and then Dash has to run you know uh, like a, a thousand yards in order to catch it, and the robot's trying to fire him, and he's going around like all of that is really good, but it's, out across the water so he can demonstrate his water running skills, so his dad can comment on it later. Yeah, it's good action and character together and they're working with Frozone and then you see Bob figuring it out and but but he figures it out but then Helen makes him wait because she's like no 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 we need to time this right and he's like no press the button she's like not yet so she gets to have her moment um, we get to see you know everybody in the family Violet uses her powers too everybody in the family gets their moment but it is fast and then over it does yep. what it needs to do and then we move on and we've already had the the very recently we had the the other big scene on the island, right? So we don't need to to stretch another another fight scene out. Nonetheless, that takes some guts to deviate from the template that much. But they spend about as much time on the underminer as they do seemingly on the robot. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that may be true. There's a little a couple of fanboy moments here. So one of the fanboy moments obviously is Buddy, aka Syndrome, when he says, "You married Elastigirl," just like the the idea that that ship is uh, is exciting to him, right? Uh, and then when when all the people see Syndrome. And they're saying, "Is that this? Kill-? It's all. It's all the fans trying to trying to identify the superhero." And he says, "No, I'm a new superhero." Right. So that's. But like, it's one of the few bits of recognition of of uh, fan uh, fanboy culture beyond just Buddy himself that everybody in the world, in some degree, is familiar with. Or maybe they're following them kind of like the Royals or whatever. I always, I always enjoyed that. That it's like an, an honest depiction in world of the obsession that people would surely have with all these supers. Uh, so with the day saved. 
uh, they they will you know the their friend from the government will definitely you know keep an eye out for syndrome and they'll take care of him. And meanwhile, and this is where they're in the limo, and I love this because everybody else is having a great time, and Bob is like, "Oh, I love you running across the water," and and Dash is like, "This is the best day ever." But Helen is increasingly tense as she checks her voicemail, <laughs> and the, this is I love this the escalating panicked um, voicemails from Kari is like, "Everything's fine, everything's fine, things are getting a little strange." And then the next one is like, things are not fine, Mrs. Barr. Things are not fine. And then the last one is like, hey, it's Kari again. It's fine. Thanks for sending the other sitter. You know what? That that makes your blood run cold at that moment, though, because those those escalating messages are so funny. And then all of a sudden it's dead calm. Uh huh. Like, oh, that's not good. Syndrome is at home with the baby. And he's going to he's going to take the baby, I guess, and raise it to be a villain or something. And they have to from and he's taking it up to his hovering uh, his hovering jet, and they're trying to figure out how to reach it and can they throw things at it and uh, and uh, she wants to stretch up or no, no Bob throws a car no, that's, right? that's at the end he says throw, trying to find something to throw he said I can't throw anything I'll hit Jack Jack so throw me so she throws her and she saves the baby with the the great parachute scene with the explosion behind her look at me honey don't look at the explosion right. yeah and then we have the great scene from Syndrome's perspective of like. He's way above everybody, and they're just specks, and all of a sudden, this tiny speck that was a car becomes a very large speck immediately, <laughs> and he's like, oh, no. And he gets, and he gets uh, his cape sucks him into a jet, yeah. because Edna Mode mm-hmm. told yeah. him. You gotta pay it off. That's I think my favorite bit payoff. in this scene is the part where she catches Jack-Jack, and he just says, ma'am. <laughs> Makes me laugh. I have to ask, have you all seen Jack-Jack Attack? Yep. Yeah. There's, the, mm-hmm. there's this short that, um, well, we had it on the DVD with The Incredibles, and it sh- it tells the the story of those uh, answering machine messages or uh, on her phone, and, the, and the, like of mm-hmm. all of Carrie's panic messages, because as we see at the very end of the movie, Jack-Jack has powers. Surprise. Oh, it's funny that they assumed he didn't when he's like six yep. months old or whatever, but... Um, so as he's developing these powers, as this poor 14-year-old is trying to babysit him, and honestly, she's an incredible babysitter for this very traumatic child. By the end of it, she's just <laughs> sitting there, her clothes are all singed because she keeps bursting in, into flames, and she just has um, a, like a, a pan to take care of the laser beams and a fire extinguisher to take care of the fire, and I have no idea why she didn't call the police or something. Yeah, also, that suggests that uh, at under six months, Dash was demonstrating incredible speed and Violet was probably disappearing in her crib and who knows what kind of awful things occurred there. So with uh, with Syndrome sucked into a, a jet engine, we uh, cut to later, they're at the track meet. Uh, Violet is uh, talking to the boy who likes her and, uh, and uh, they're setting a date. Dash is participating in the track meet. A, a scene that makes me laugh so much where he keeps looking up at his dad and he's like, no, no, go faster. No, no, that's too fast. Uh, uh, second, a close second. second. Finish a close second. <laughs> and the other parents are looking, looking the at them like they're like they're crazy because, you know, why, why are you telling yeah. your kid not the you know, what's going on? And they leave there and he's on like Bob's shoulders and he's got the he's got the silver mm-hmm. trophy and, and he's, he's super got a, happy. His, his like sports team number was number two on his shirt. So that was that mm-hmm. was that was a nice little yeah. uh, piece of that. Because that's the resolution of like, you know, we should let the supers be able to do what they want and they can run as fast as they can. That's not, you know, at the end, he doesn't just, and now he gets to be the fastest boy everywhere and he wins every event. No, that's not, you know, there's still, he still understands that you have to exist, coexist with everybody else, but you're allowed to not totally blunt that part of yourself and hide it from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And do the thing that you love. 
And the last thing in the movie is that a giant drill appears from underneath the city. It's the most shocking thing of all, where we discover that John Ratzenberger can actually do a voice. <laughs> of course, John Ratzenberger, who's a voice in every single Pixar movie, he's their good luck charm, and he hasn't been in this movie mm-hmm. up to that point. But what happens here? Sitting at the top of the giant drill, behold, the Underminer. And uh, this is a direct Fantastic Four reference to the, the Mole Man, the first villain in the first issue of the Fantastic Four. And it's John Ratzenberger, and uh, and they put on their costumes because there's time for another, uh, you know, another battle for the Incredibles to fight against uh, the Underminer, and that's the end of the movie. Pretty good gag Damn there. I'm, I'm I'm below you, but nothing is beneath yes. me. Yes, pretty good. <laughs> there was an Underminer video game that served as the sort of unofficial official sequel to the Incredibles. We had it on PlayStation. It wasn't bad. The, both the opening credits and the ending credits, I think, are very inventively done, and like. Again, like the with the concept cars never being reflected in the real cars and the storyboards always looking more dramatic than the real movie. I think these very simplified opening and closing credits highlight how true the movie is to the vision represented by the art style. Lots of times you have credits that are in a totally different art style than the movie actually ends up being, but this whole movie feels of a piece. All right, we did it. Well, that's <laughs> we it. The Incredibles. It. It's great. It's such a great movie. It is, great. It is most of us. Most of us would say maybe the best Pixar movie or our favorite yeah. Pixar movie. Maybe well, not it's, Steve. It's darn close. But that's okay. Like I said, and it, if there's one thing I find disappointing about this movie, it's that uh, it's got so much great stuff besides all the superhero stuff. And yet, because it's a superhero movie, at least ostensibly, I have difficulty convincing some people to watch it. Hmm. Which which is a bummer. I mean, there's people that I know would love the the rest of the movie beyond the superhero stuff, and would probably also really enjoy the superhero stuff, which is all very well done. But you know, I can't get over that hump of ah, it's a superhero movie. I'm not into that. Just just pitch it as a movie about uh, about film design and directing. Because if you take, like I said, uh, every sure. one of these scenes, just going by by the framing and you know how how tight the script is and how how expressive all the the silhouettes are that's why i think it's it's so much more like 2d animation than a lot of pixar stuff and that it's all about bold outlines and shapes and i feel like that if someone is interested in film you could just go through this movie and that respect and pause every once in a while and say look at this look what they're doing here it's just it's it's i think it's just a masterpiece in that way and that, that lets me get past the you know increasingly dated graphics particularly in the beginning like they don't they don't the, the lighting and everything doesn't do much to sell the drama of this movie uh, but every other part of it makes up for it I personally think that if you say this is a Pixar film about superheroes and that's not enough to get someone to watch it, then you shouldn't be friends with that person. (laughs) (laughs) Harsh, harsh, but fair. And going back to what John was saying about the, the, the silhouettes and the framing, also like the camera moves if you're watching the where the shot starts where the shot ends what's in the frame uh at the beginning and what's in the frame at the end where where they're connecting between these different things uh how they chose to do this is is really quite remarkable there's three different people with a cinematography credit on this and it is of course digital cinematography a little different than having a camera but uh it's I'd really love to know how they chose to broke up, uh, break up all of the different components to get around to doing that with uh, with those three people. It's shot is almost like a, like a live action movie. Like I, I noticed a lot of the camera moves, like you, like move, the moves are themselves limited by what you would have to do with the physical camera rig. Like they don't have to be; it's digital. You can put the camera anywhere you want, which they they explore that freedom in a lot of other Pixar movies. But a lot of these camera moves remind me of live action because they are I don't know the names of all the different kinds of equipment, but you're like, oh, that's when they have just a thing on a track and it can go. Up and down a little bit right and so all the moves are composed to fit within some real world physical in the same way they use you know quote-unquote physical world lenses you know in in the digital realm and i think that 
grounds it in the language of cinema that we are all familiar with. Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a couple of snippets here that I would, you know, demonstrate as just amazing camera moves that serve the story and the mood. In the same way that Goodfellas does a lot of the similar stuff where there's just some sort of iconic uh, camera moves that add nuance and flair to the scene that would otherwise just, you know, be uh, just just relying on the script and the performance. Yeah, because some of these camera moves are the joke themselves. Uh, like when Dash lands and he's in that little spotlight, that shaft of light, and he's so happy that he survived uh, that landing on the ground there. The camera just moves over to the guys who are sitting on the little blade copter things that are uh, right there and pans back over to him and he goes uh, and runs out of the frame. So that's, that's the joke is the camera uh, telling you that, mm-hmm. not not having all that stuff in the frame at the same time and also timing that out so that you get the delivery of that. Mm -hmm. So I I really, and it's sprinkled all throughout this movie. The Incredibles two is going to be released in June at long last, 14 years later, they are releasing a sequel and, uh, I hope it's, uh, I hope it's really great. But if there was ever a a Pixar with all these other Pixar sequels that were, were coming out and that have been coming out i kept thinking to myself you know the one i really want is the one they're never gonna make and finally um, Brad Bird thought, what you wish for. i've, I've yeah. got an idea yeah i know they I'm could ruin everything frightened. it's it's entirely possible but i was frightened about uh, toy story 3 too they pulled that one off well it's a good movie i look forward to the sequel i hope uh i hope it's good it's gonna be it's tough because this is such a beloved movie but uh i'm happy to give brad bird another crack at it his his track record's been pretty good um and that ends our conversation about the incredibles i want to thank my panel for being here and talking about this excellent movie and and giving us all a chance to watch it again which is also great quinn rose thank you for being here thank you so much for having me john syracuse thank you i never thought we'd get to this movie jason and yet here we are <laughs> uh joe Steele, thank you and call me when you get back done i enjoy our visits steve lutz Am I happy that you were here? The law requires that I answer yes. You know, Jason, I wish my parents played Mozart when I slept because half the time I don't even know what the heck anyone's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this edition of The Incomparable. We will see you next time. 